Thank you, thank you. So good to be with you this morning and to be on the mountain in an absolutely beautiful day up here today uh, that just helps to, it helps the heart, doesn't it? Uh, it lifts the spirit. So it's good to be up here and good to be with you. Uh, it's been some time since I've been able to, to come and, and have this opportunity uh, to share God's word with you. So it's a great uh, honor today. It's been good to see some familiar faces out there. I will say, this feels a lot different from last time whenever I was here. Um, I remember last time I was here, this was, a, this was a full room, and I could see your faces. It's hard to preach when you cannot see faces. I feel like we were created to be able to see one another's faces. And so the reality is, um, this has been a really hard year, hasn't it? Uh, you know, just this past week, I was talking to uh, I was talking to a friend who's actually planting one of our churches in our presbytery, and we were talking about one year ago this week, and he said, "Yeah, it was one year ago this week that everything hit." He was getting ready to plant a church, and all of a sudden, everything goes on lockdown. If you can remember back a year ago, which feels like an eternity ago, doesn't it? When all of life changed, all the things that we took for granted um, have been changed. Uh, it's been a very, very challenging year. A year of a pandemic absolutely unprecedented in our lives. Um, with it has come so many challenges, so many difficulties. We have, many of us have felt anxiety and fear. Uh, the fear of getting sick, the fear of being near to one another, one another, touching one another. We were made for community and for touch and for nearness. And so many of us have felt incredibly isolated in the past year. And on top of all of the challenges of this pandemic, we've experienced incredible division in our culture, political division. I know in my own church, we have had to really walk through some really challenging times. Uh, deep racial wounds have been opened in our country. And it has not been a conversation that has been one that, has, um, that everyone has come to with a heart of love. It's uh, probably an understatement to say. This has been an incredibly hard year, and I know that for many of us over this past year, we have experienced many things. Weariness, uh, discouragement, anxiety, fear, a sense of loss. I wonder for you, what is it like to be a college student during a pandemic and to always wonder, what kind of college experience am I going to get to have? How do I be a college student and not get to be with other college students? And how long is this going to last? And could classes be canceled out of the blue and all of us sent home? I'm sure many of you have wrestled with those fears and those concerns over this past year. Well, I want you to understand that I, too, have experienced a lot of these same challenges. It's been a hard year for me. It's been an incredibly hard year in ministry stewarding all of these divisions and conversations and difficulties. One of the biggest challenges I've faced is how do you do ministry? How do you care for people when you can't be with people? One of the things that's exposed in my own heart is this sense of it's all up to me. I wouldn't have said that about a year ago that really in ministry I tend to carry ministry as this burden in which it's all up to me and I'm all alone. I never would have said that that's what I deeply believe. This pandemic and all of its challenges have exposed that in my heart. 
that deep down, I believe this is up to me. So it makes the things that you carry, if you can relate to that in your own life, it makes the things that you carry, and we all have things to carry, we all have been entrusted with a load in our life, but it makes those things that you seek to carry incredibly heavy and wearisome. So if this morning you find yourself here weary and burdened, and you can identify with that in any way, I want to share a passage to you, with you, that has been an incredible comfort to my own soul over the past number of months. Now you're probably familiar with this passage. It is Matthew chapter 11, uh, just three verses, verses 28 through 30. But some of the most tender, warm, gentle words of Jesus that really reveal his heart for us and welcome us into his rest. Let me read this for us and then I'm going to make a few comments for us and apply it to our own lives. Here's what Jesus says, chapter, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'm just going to stop there. What sweet and tender words of Jesus. This is an invitation of Jesus. I want to encourage you to open your heart to this invitation of Jesus. And I just want to point out right off the bat, Jesus sees you. As we come to that passage, like Jesus is just naming our reality. He wouldn't say this unless he didn't know our hearts. And he says to us, I know you. I see you. I see the ways in which you try to carry the world in your own strength. I see the ways in which you are running after so many things in life to try to find worth and value and significance and love. I see you. I know you. I know your weariness. I know the burdens that you carry. I know the pains that you carry. I know the shame that just feels like it will not go away. I see you. Jesus today sees us right where we is, where we are. And he invites us to himself and he offers us something. He offers us rest. Come to me and I will give you rest. We see in the very next verse that this rest is a deep soul rest. It's a deep rest that our souls crave and that seems to be so elusive in the things of this world. You know, deep down we long for rest, don't we? We're all longing for rest. You know, we chase it in things that, that don't deliver. I mean, so often I know for myself, I'm chasing and craving rest and I'm chasing in things like Netflix or escape or scrolling through social media. I find that, you know, just in, in the random toil of the day, there's this, there's this great uh, tendency in me to just want to pull out my phone and just kind of get that, you know, dopamine dump you know, that little escape that's like, let's just see what's happening here, right? But I always find that after I do that, and I've wasted far more time than I ever planned to, I always find that did not deliver. In fact, often I feel more wearied than I did before. So often we think, you know, that vacation, that experience, hobbies, that's a big one for me. Oh, if I can just get away, if I can just go do this, if I can just leave the responsibilities of life, then I will find that rest. But if you're anything like me, the reality is it is elusive. All those things are good. But when we look 
to those good created things to deliver the deep soul rest that our hearts crave, we will be fundamentally dissatisfied. We will be left thirsty. Because the reality is that that rest that our souls need and crave can only be found in Jesus. And that is his invitation. Come to me for rest. A tender, tender invitation. So here's the question. What does it mean to come to Jesus? Well, the first thing that we could say is to come to Jesus means to believe in him. It means to, to put my trust in him, to, put, to find my rest in him, to surrender to him, to believe that he is real and he is who he says he is and he is present in my life. It means to open my heart to him. Sometimes that is the hardest thing to do. We can believe here, but to open my heart in an unguarded state to Jesus to receive his love can be incredibly hard. But there's something that he tells us about what he means in the very next verse. And I want you to see this, and it might not be what we would think. When Jesus says, come to me, this might not be the first thing we would think that he means. Look at what he says in verse 29. After his invitation to come to me, verse 29 clarifies, what does that look like? And here's what he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. What does it mean to come to Jesus? It means to take his yoke upon you. Now, yoke is probably not a term that we're super familiar with. We don't use that in everyday language. We're not an agrarian society, but in Jesus' day, his audience would know exactly what a yoke is. A yoke was a piece of farm equipment. It was a piece of wood that would have been carved and arranged in such a way to tie two oxen together so that they would pull a load. That's what a yoke is. And so that doesn't probably for most of us strike us as very restful. I don't need a yoke, Jesus. I need a break. I need a bed. But Jesus says, no, no, you need a yoke. You see, in Jesus' day, the yoke was a common idiom for taking on the teaching of a rabbi. To take on a yoke was to come underneath a teacher. It was to follow them, to learn their way of life, to learn from them how to understand God's word and apply it to your life and how to embody that in your life. It was a way of learning to be human, to do life in God's way, to surrender yourself to him. And you're learning that from the particular teaching of the rabbi. Another word for this, a very common word in the scriptures, is a disciple. Now, we don't often talk about discipleship nearly enough. It's incredibly prominent in the New Testament. We don't often describe ourselves as disciples, if you're a follower of Jesus. The more common term is Christian. And the emphasis in evangelicalism is that what it means to be a Christian is that you believe a certain set of facts and you have made a certain decision in your life. That's especially true in my context. But what Jesus intended it to mean was that you would become his disciple. That we would come up underneath his teaching. That we would take his yoke upon us. Dallas Willard has a great concept to describe what it means to become a disciple. He uses the term apprentice. You know what an apprentice is. It's very common down in Dade County where I minister. It's a very blue-collar community there. And 
usually folks there, they don't go to college and learn in a classroom setting. They go and they apprentice with someone. And to be apprentice means you go to be with someone who is a master of a particular craft and you are with them. Relationship is at the very heart of it, but you are learning from them in a hands-on practical way how to do that craft in the way that they do that craft. To become an apprentice to Jesus means that you are with Jesus, in relationship with Jesus, and you are learning his craft, his way for your life. What is Jesus' craft? His craft was to be the human being that we were created and intended to be. Now that might be a little bit different than what we think. Our emphasis tends to be far more about understanding things rather than actually practicing things. You know, I'm in the PCA. I'm on the team. I get it. I know we are passionate about theology. And listen, I am too. I love theology. I love learning more and more about Scripture and how to understand God and how to understand Jesus. But what I have come to understand is that in much of my Christian life, I have neglected this idea of apprenticing to Jesus. Here's what Dallas Willard says. This is his definition of an uh, of a disciple of Jesus. He says a disciple is someone who is learning to live their life as Jesus would live their life if Jesus were living their life. That's a great, that's a great one, isn't it? You see, I'm learning in relationship with Jesus how to live my life, not his life, not someone else's life, but my particular life. Right where I'm at, what he's called me to, the relationships he's put in my life, I'm learning to do that life in the way in which Jesus would do my life if he were doing my life. That's apprenticing to Jesus. That is becoming his disciple. That is taking his yoke upon you. That is learning from him. But there's something very unique about the yoke of Jesus. And he tells us about it here. Something that's utterly unique, that's unlike any other teacher in the world. His yoke is easy. Is that how you see the way of Jesus? If I'm honest, for much of my life, I have not thought the way of Jesus is easy. I have thought it to be hard and burdensome. Now, Jesus says right here, again in verse 29, I am gentle and humble in heart. Is that how you primarily see Jesus? That he is gentle? You know, the reality is, is that we can have carefully constructed, rational beliefs and understandings about who Jesus is, and that is a good thing. But very often what happens is that the visceral heart-level beliefs, the beliefs that we actually function out of, the beliefs that we function out of whenever things go south in our life, that always tends to reveal what we most deeply believe in our heart. And those are always opportunities to see, wait a minute, maybe I don't most deeply believe what I think I believe. The reality is for so many of us, we do not think Jesus is gentle. Is that your Jesus? That he is gentle with sinners when you struggle, when you fall apart, 
when, when you're caught in some pattern in your life that you can't break out of, something that you said, I will not do that again, and yet find yourself right back in that place of emptiness, do you in that moment sense the gentleness of Jesus? He is humble in heart, which means he is approachable. We don't have to prepare ourselves for Jesus. We don't have to clean up. We don't have to put ourselves together. We don't have to get our act together. We come to Jesus right where we are because he is gentle. And his yoke is easy. And what, what do we mean by this? His yoke is easy. I mean, again, to take on Jesus' yoke is to take on the lifestyle of Jesus, the way of Jesus, and all the ways of my life. It's taking on his way of being, his way of carrying life. Jesus carried a lot of burdens in life, but he carried them in a particular way. So our question is, what is this easy way of Jesus? What does it look like? Now, to answer that question, you too have to become his disciple. You have to learn from him. You have to come under his teachings and under his word and plant it into your heart and begin to practice it. But let me just point out two really primary things that jump out as I think of and study the way of Jesus. One is his surrender to the Father. One of the things that jumps out about the life of Jesus is his utter dependence on the Father. He was at rest even in the midst of a storm because of his dependence on his Father. One of the things you see in Jesus' life is he's always pulling away to be alone, pulling away from the, hurriness, the hurry of life, pull, pulling away from the duties of life and the busyness and, and all of the demands upon his life. He was always pulling away to be with his Father. That for him was the place of replenishment, the place of rest. And because of his dependence upon the Father in every way, and he often said that, all that I say is from the Father. All that I do is from the Father. I'm learning from Him. I'm depending upon Him. And because of that, Jesus, in all the things that He carried in His life, trusted the Father for the outcomes. That speaks to me. So often in life, in the load and the burdens that He's entrusted to me, I think the outcome is up to me. Do you ever feel that way? In relationships, in your studies, in your responsibilities in life. If it is to be, it's up to me. It's like a code for my life. But that's not the way of Jesus. If it is to be, it's up to the Father. You know, Jesus was not obsessed with building his own reputation. He was free from the approval of other people. Can you just imagine the freedom of that? especially for people like us who are so dominated by the opinions of other people. Is that not easy? Jesus was utterly dependent on the Father, and that is an easy way to live. But there's a second thing to see, and it's the way in which Jesus loved people. One of the most clear things you can say about the way of Jesus is that Jesus loved people. He saw people. 
It'd be an interesting study to go to the Gospels and to just note all the times in every encounter that Jesus would have, how it would specifically say that Jesus saw them. Why would it tell us that? I mean, what, what, how is that necessary? Because it wants us to know something of Jesus' heart. He was not detached. He was not disconnected. He was not guarded. He was open. He felt people. He, he encountered people. He saw them. He saw their burdens. He saw their life. He read their mail. He knew their address. And that affected him. Can you imagine that you affect Jesus? And when you're learning the way of Jesus, you begin to allow other people to affect you. He didn't use people. It's so easy for us to do. We use people. You know, we love things and we use people, the very opposite that God has created us for. He has made creation that we would use creation to love people, but in our brokenness, we do just the opposite. But Jesus did not use people. He saw people, he loved them, and he entered into relationship with people. Let me tell you something I've discovered as I am learning the way of Jesus. And by the way, this is a lifelong process. But as I'm learning the way of Jesus, what I'm finding is that he has made us to love. Love is not a chore. Love is what you were made for. We've been distorted into thinking that it's up to us to get love. But when we know the love of the Father and the love of Jesus, we can begin to love other people. And even in the midst of the incredible busyness of modern life, the burdens, the toils of this life, did you know that to love another person is so satisfying? To open your heart, to connect, to see, and to know them is satisfying. It is the easy way. You know, the reality is, is as hard as this year is, and I, I have a lot of hope that things are beginning to turn and that things might come back to a place of normalcy. But the reality is, is that for all of us, life is going to be hard. Jesus has very clearly told us this from the outset. This life is going to be hard. There will be burdens. Sometimes in modern life, in our obsession with self-care, it says the way to care for your soul is to erect very clear barriers. It's to uh, pull yourself back from the needs of life. Jesus did not do that. This life will be filled with burdens, heavy burdens, difficulties, pain, suffering, and loss. It's a promise. We might as well accept it. But we do not have to be burdened and weary and heavy laden. As we learn to carry in the easy way of Jesus, we will know life. And we will become a source of life for others. The way of rest and flourishing that we crave so deeply in our life is to come under the easy yoke of Jesus. I invite you to do that. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are weary. We are burdened. 
We carry things in this life that are not ours to carry. We so often believe the lie that it's all up to us, that if it is to be, it's up to me. But I pray that by the power of your spirit, we would begin to open our hearts to your love, to your seeing of us, to your nearness of us, and that we would begin to take upon ourselves the easy yoke of Jesus, that we would flourish and that you would be glorified in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.